Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olibest. Today we are going to discuss one of the most clearly written, accessible texts on patriarchy and feminism that I've ever read. It's called Feminism is for Everybody, Passionate Politics, and it's by the iconic author, professor, cultural critic, and social activist, Bell Hooks. It was originally published in the year 2000, and for this episode, my reading partner and I read the new edition that came out in 2014. And speaking of my reading partner, I'd like to introduce Gina Haney. Hi, Gina. Hi, Amy. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for being here. Before we talk about the book, actually, we usually on on every episode, we talk about the author, just so we have context of who this person was that contributed this work that we're learning from. So Gina, if you would just tell us a little bit about Bell Hooks first, and then we'll start talking about the book. Okay. So we decided together to use the biography that Bell Hooks has chosen to represent herself on the Bell Hooks Institute website. And we do this for a number of reasons, which I think you'll understand after I read the the biography says, quote, Bell Hooks is an acclaimed intellectual, feminist theorist, cultural critic, artist, and writer. Hooks has authored over three dozen books and has published works that span several genres, including cultural criticism, personal memoirs, poetry collections, and children's books. Her writings cover topics of gender, race, class, spirituality, teaching, and the significance of media in contemporary culture. Born Gloria Jean Watkins in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Bell Hooks adopted the pen name of her maternal great-grandmother, a woman known for speaking her mind. Hooks received her B.A. from Stanford University, her M.A. from the University of Wisconsin, and her Ph.D. from the University of California, Santa Cruz. Her books include Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism, Rock My Soul, Black People and Self-Esteem, Teaching to Transgress, Education as the Practice of Freedom, Teaching Community, A Pedagogy of Hope, Where We Stand, Class Matters, We Real Cool, Black Men and Masculinity, and Feminism is for Everybody, Passionate Politics the text we are discussing today. Also interesting to note is that Bell Hooks does not capitalize her name on the website of the university where she teaches, Berea College in Kentucky. It explains this choice. Quote, she has chosen the lowercase pen name Bell Hooks based on the names of, of her mother and grandmother. To emphasize the importance of the substance of her writing, as opposed to who she is. So in this spirit, we're going to keep her biography short and instead spend the whole episode focusing on her work because we think that's what she would want out of this. Maybe she'll be listening at some point. Um, (laughs) So take it away, Amy. Yeah, let's dive into the book. We're going to start with some important points from the very first thing with the introduction. So Gina, I think you're going to start us off there in the intro. Yes, of course. The introduction is entitled Come Closer to Feminism. Hooks offers her definition of feminism as, quote, a movement to end sexism 
Texas Exploitation and Oppression, end quote. She envisions the building of the movement as twofold, one by recognizing our participation in perpetuating sexism, and two, by striving to replace it with feminist thoughts and action. Yeah, that's a great a great point to bring out from the intro. The one more one thing from the intro that I loved too is it's a really short quote. She says, "Imagine living in a world where there is no domination, where females and males are not alike or even always equal, but where a vision of mutuality is the ethos shaping our interaction." I love that vision. Men and women don't always have to be alike, but mutuality is the ethos shaping our interaction, not one deciding the rules for the other. (laughs) Great insight, Amy. Okay, so I am going to take chapter one, and then I believe chapter three, and then Gina, you'll take a couple of chapters and kind of take the lead on those chapters. So we'll just kind of switch off. I chose chapter one. It's titled Feminist Politics, Where We Stand. So I have three quotes that I want to share from the chapter. And the first quote is kind of referencing the, the point of view of feminists during, you know, the 1960s and 70s with the second wave of feminism. So here's, here's the quote. She says, quote, utopian visions of sisterhood based solely on the awareness of the reality that all women were in some way victimized by male domination were disrupted by discussions of class and race. We could only become sisters in struggle by confronting the ways women, through sex, class, and race, dominated and exploited other women and created a political platform that would address these differences. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about is she says, she talks about different approaches that were being taken specifically in the 1970s, though I would say it's probably just the same within feminism today. The reformist feminism approach versus the radical feminism approach. And her quote is this, she says, most women, especially privileged white women, ceased even to consider revolutionary feminist visions once they began to gain economic power within the existing social structure. Reformist feminists were eager to silence radical feminism. Reformist feminism became their route to class mobility. They could break free of male domination in the workforce and be more self-determining in their lifestyles. While sexism did not end, they could maximize their freedom within the existing system, and they could count on there being a lower class of exploited, subordinated women to do the dirty work they were refusing to do. Oh man, that like that packs a punch, I feel like, and is so true that if you're going to have, you know, better opportunities, look around you and make sure you're not exploiting somebody else or leaving somebody else out of it. So anything to add there, Gina? Well, that just goes right to the point of the title of this book, Feminism is for Everyone, no matter mm. What your gender, what your race, what your class is, where you live, it's for everyone. Uh, Mm -hmm. What your sexual orientation is, it just, you know, that should not even come into play. And that is something that she reinforces again and again in different chapters of this book. So, yes, absolutely. So, 
that is so interesting. Okay, so that's perfect. Again, just the segue into my last point that I want to share from this chapter is this is an interesting one, a tricky one. I'm just going to read the quote and then you'll see why I'm saying that it's kind of tricky. She says, lifestyle feminism ushered in the notion that there could be as many versions of feminism as there were women. Suddenly, the politics was being slowly removed from feminism, and the assumption prevailed that no matter what a woman's politics, be she conservative or liberal, she too could fit feminism into her existing lifestyle. Obviously, this way of thinking has made feminism more acceptable because its underlying assumption is that women can be feminists without fundamentally challenging and changing themselves or the culture. For example, let's take the issue of abortion. This is still Hooks talking. She says, If feminism is a movement to end sexist oppression and depriving females of reproductive rights is a form of sexist oppression, then one cannot be anti-choice and be feminist. A woman can insist she would never choose to have an abortion while affirming her support of the right of women to choose and still be an advocate of feminist politics. She cannot be anti-abortion and an advocate of feminism. So that's why I, I say it's tricky because on one hand, she's saying feminism is for everybody, but she does have a definition of what that feminism means. And she says that, I mean, at least this is my interpretation, that, that that feminism is for everybody. But you can't just say, oh, I'm a feminist, but I believe this, this, and this. And I have come to understand recently Hooks's view that you can't really be a feminist if you deprive, if you are in favor of depriving women the right to choose what to do with their own reproductive life, with their body, with their family. How I would summarize my feelings are I I feel wary of labels and and when gatekeepers stand at the gate and say, if you don't meet these definitions, then you can't have the label of feminist. I personally am grateful that I didn't have anybody earlier in my life saying, you can't be a feminist. And if you think that, I think it would have hindered my ability to make progress and to learn. And so I guess that was my thought on that. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's not, to me, it's not as tricky as it is to you, but I, I don't have a lot of this background. So anyway, mm-hmm. maybe we could, should move on because I, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I'll share. So the next chapter it, it was one I was going to take the lead on too. I'll go quickly through it. It's chapter three, and she says, sisterhood is still powerful. And I want to share just a couple of quotes from that chapter. So she says, attending an all-women's college for a year before I transferred to Stanford University, I knew from firsthand experience the difference in female self-esteem and self-assertion in same-sex classrooms versus those where males were present. At Stanford, males ruled the day in every classroom. Females spoke less, took less initiative, and often when they spoke, you could hardly hear what they were saying. Their voices lacked strength and confidence. And to make matters worse, we were told time and time again by male professors that we were not as intelligent as the males, that we could not be great thinkers, writers, and so on. These attitudes shocked me since I had come from an all-female environment where our intellectual worth and value was constantly affirmed 
by the standard of academic excellence are mostly female professors set for us and themselves. So I, first of all, I just want to say how thankful I am that so much has changed because that is not the feeling that I've had at Stanford at all and just in general. But I also wanted to ask you, Gina, because I know that your girls attended an all-girls middle school, right? Yes, both of my girls attended all-girls middle schools, and I could I, I could actually see that transformation where they weren't so outspoken when they were in a, a mixed-gender classroom and then no holes barred for them in an all um, single gender classroom. And that was for me really, really interesting to see and to see it's, they're still in the process of that. And they really advocate for themselves outside of school and in high school. It's a very dramatic shift, I think, because I think they were in single gender classrooms. I also went to a single gender high school and can say from personal experience that I um, can attest to the power of sisterhood. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I have, I think I'm just going to share one more thought from this chapter so that we can move on to your chapters, Gina. One more quote that I have from this chapter is she says, First and foremost, feminist movement urged females to no longer see ourselves and our bodies as the property of men, to demand control of our sexuality, effective birth control and reproductive rights, an end to rape and sexual harassment. We needed to stand in solidarity. In order for women to change job discrimination, we needed to lobby as a group to change public policy. Challenging and changing female sexist thinking was the first step towards creating the powerful sisterhood that would ultimately rock our nation. So this was published before the Me Too movement. And I wish we had, you know, some sort of afterword that was written recently by Bell Hooks about her response to the Me Too movement, because that's what this seems to kind of be a precursor to, right? Or rather, I guess I would say that the Me Too movement is just a culmination of all of these things that Bell Hooks is saying need to happen. So that's that must have just been thrilling for her, right? It was like the fulfillment of this almost um, prophecy that she was making, that this is what would ultimately rock the nation, is women standing together. I think that's all I'm going to share for chapter three, and then we'll move on to chapter eight, which you're going to take the lead on, Gina. Okay. And before we do that, I just wanted to add that, you know, don't forget the Black Lives Matter movement, too. I think that really um, affects the feminist movement in a positive way Mm -hmm. and, you know, goes back again to what Hooks is saying. Let's think about class. Let's think about race. It's very important. And the next chapter is on global feminism. And I think that the next chapter we will look at, which is chapter eight. And I think that that's important to think about air movement globally don't keep the blinders on hooks sees this the worldwide female commitment to western imperialism and trans transnational capitalism is detrimental to the broader feminist movement which is led by for the most part by white western women so that's a lot to tackle She's saying that, you know, women around the world really kind of gravitate to this Western imperialism kind of history. Their notions of feminism are are, are still under this kind of rubric of, of the West. 
and you know white western women kind of are leading the movement so we have to kind of break again break this down maybe we are breaking it down so according to hooks quote when unenlightened individual feminist thinkers addressed global issues of gender exploitation and oppression they did so from the perspective of neocolonialism, end quote. A decolonized feminist perspective would examine how sexist practices are linked globally. An example, and this is Hook's example, she associates female genital mutilation with life-threatening eating disorders. So things that we in our country really see as problematic, which are problematic, and things that we have a very distant idea with as being problematic, like genital mutilation. Um, So life-threatening eating disorders or cosmetic surgery to emphasize, quote, the sexism, the misogyny, end quote, underlying global and local sexism. So this is happening across the globe in different forms. Until challenged, Hooks emphasizes, quote, the tone of global feminism in the West will continue to be set by those with the greatest class power who hold old bias, end quote. So in other words, feminism is, as we know it, is challenged by issues issues of class, race, and inequity. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Amy? Yeah, definitely. Those are such great, such great points. I'm just, um, one thing that I thought of when you read this quote again, where you talked about how she talks about female genital mutilation, which as you said, is in my view, just an egregious violation of human rights. But she talks about how important it is to decolonize our thinking. One thing that I, when you read that quote, I thought, yes, that's, that's true. It reminded me of you know, Michel de Montaigne, when he wrote that essay. Um, So this was a French thinker in the 16th century, I think. And he was really calling out people's hypocrisy by saying, you know, we have, we think of the um, native peoples of these other countries as being barbaric, but we here in Europe do all of these terrible tortures and we um, we're burning people at the stake because of their different religious beliefs. And he, and he, he's, I, I think it was one of the first written mental exercises of breaking down that hypocrisy in seeing somebody else's else's culture as barbaric without examining our own. And that's what I, thought of when I when I heard you say that again that Hooks is saying that perhaps Westerners are very quick to point out how terrible female mut- genital mutilation is and again in my view it is terrible but we're we're very slow to recognize our own sickness our own misogynistic practices that cause our girl our daughters to starve themselves or people who have cosmetic surgery because they feel like they have to alter their bodies in order to be to conform to these standards. And and she's saying like, I think we need to take a good hard look at ourselves and our own harmful practices against women rather than being so quick to point out what, you know, the harmful practices in other countries. Is that in line with, yes, with exactly you think? Right. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So you have the next chapter too, Gina, right? That on race and gender. Okay, yes. I another heavy 
for me, a heavy chapter, mm-hmm. but an important chapter. So the movement from the civil rights struggle into female liberation, which you know well, Amy, was a logical transition for some women. Yet the very foundation of the civil rights movement, which was race, was kind of lost in that transition. So from the perspective of Hooks, which is a quote, I'll start here, they, white women, were following in the footsteps of their abolitionist ancestors. But when faced with the possibility that black males might gain the right to vote before white women, they chose to unite under the umbrella of white supremacy. White women entering the movement of female liberation, therefore, eliminated race from the picture, end quote. This statement harkens back to points made in Chapter 8 about how feminism today is still working to decolonize. We're still working to recognize all races, all classes, all sexual orientations. I could go on and on, but we need to be more inclusive. That's the bottom line, I think. Hooks, with her years of experience, ends this chapter with a note of hope, which is great, and perhaps a call to action. She states, quote, I witnessed the revolution in consciousness that occurred as individual women began to break free of denial, to break free of white supremacist thinking. These awesome changes restore my faith in feminist movement and strengthen the solidarity I feel towards all women, end quote. So again, as individual women kind of struggling with this, we need to be introspective, break free of colonial, maybe maybe I'll use the term white supremacist because she used it, thinking. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, as Amy said, that any that individually, you know, kind of looking inward and seeing how I can change or I can think differently is the way that we kind of move towards restoring the feminist movement or the idea of taking down sexism. Do you have any thoughts on this, Amy? Nope. I think you covered it, Gina. That was a really excellent analysis of that chapter. Okay. So the next chapter we wanted to talk about is chapter 12, and it's titled Feminist Masculinity. And I'll start just with Hooks's quote. She says, when contemporary feminist movement first began, there was a fierce anti-male faction. Individual heterosexual women came to the movement from relationships where men were cruel, unkind, violent, unfaithful. Many of these men were radical thinkers who participated in movements for social justice, speaking out on behalf of the workers, the poor, speaking out on racial justice. But when it came to the issue of gender, they were as sexist as their conservative cohorts. Individual women came from these relationships angry, and they used that anger as a catalyst for women's liberation. As the movement progressed, as feminist thinking advanced, Enlightened feminist activists saw that men were not the problem, that the problem was patriarchy, sexism, and male domination. It was difficult to face the reality that the problem did not just lie with men. Facing that reality required more complex theorizing. It required acknowledging the role women play in maintaining and perpetuating sexism. I know people who talk about 
the 1970s women's lib movement in a really critical way and talk about like kind of that stereotype of the man hating feminist, right? And that's kind of the way they see the 70s second wave of feminism. And it it was actually really helpful to me to read that Hooks talks about it that way and says, yeah, that actually did exist. There were a lot of women saying, we do hate men, men are the problem. Um, And I have read some pretty radical feminist writings from the time where I think like, okay, that's where that stereotype comes from. And for Hooks to say that there was kind of a an evolution that happened in thinking where it it needed to become more nuanced. And Hooks is very, very, like you said earlier, Gina, inclusive. She's not anti-man. She's not anti-male. She's, she wants to recruit everybody in this work of, of greater equity. And so I just appreciated her pointing that out. Anyway, she goes on the, the main point of this next chapter after she talks about like, okay, men are not evil and men are not the problem. So then she says, Basically, to summarize, she says that as in many movements, it's a lot easier to point out the problem than to come up with a solution. And so she says, okay, so once we know that the problem isn't like men in general, that we see that the problem is patriarchy, she says, so what do we offer men instead? Um, She says, quote, to a grave extent, feminist movement failed to attract a large body of females and males because our theory did not effectively address the issue of not just what males might do to be anti-sexist, but also what an alternative masculinity might look like. How can you become what you cannot imagine? And that vision has yet to be made fully clear by feminist thinkers, male or female. So she talks about how boys need healthy self-esteem. They need love. She says that a wise and loving feminist politics can be a voice in helping create a new masculinity for boys and men. She says patriarchy will not heal them. If that were so, they would all be well. And as we know, boys and men in many ways are not well. Okay, well, I think you have the last chapter that we're going to cover, which is chapter 19. Is that yes, right? Yes, that's it. And this chapter is the concluding chapter, and it's about visionary feminism. And it really gets to the heart of what we've been talking about, which is feminism is for everyone. And this chapter makes the case for moving beyond the equal rights agenda to embrace basic human issues and needs such as literacy, which is an example highlighted by Hooks, and inclusive of all women, especially those of marginalized groups, and men, I would add, too. A broad-based feminist movement would not only be inclusive, but accessible, and accessible through oral tradition, language, children's books, as Bell Hooks has produced in her career, and even books on tape, on apps. And these are just a few examples given by Hooks herself in this book, in this chapter. Such inclusion and accessibility allows for creative strategies for feminist change. And that really is what I think she's advocating for. Let's work out of the box. Visionary feminism from the standpoint of gender, race, and class allows us to, quote, Hooks, accurately understand their position within the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. It's a a lot of words there, but really, again, to be (laughs) introspective and understand that we are complicit in what's their position. 
How do I work around that? How do I begin to, to refashion that into the visionary feminist way of looking at things? Gender is not the only role determining the status. We must be more inclusive. So let's move beyond this whole gender focus and think about being inclusive and including everyone. Renewal of the feminist movement is paramount to hooks in this book. We've said this over and over again. Inclusivity and accessibility remain at the foundation. Quote, to, um, this is Hooks, to ensure the continued relevance of feminist movement in our lives, visionary feminist theory must con constantly be made and remade so that it is addressing us where we live in air present, end quote. So again, this is um, the focus of Hooks. And in a nutshell, you know, this is what we, Amy and I have come to understand Hooks and Feminism is for Everyone. This book was first published 20 years ago. It is both introspective and outward looking. It's full of condemnation and hope, I think. Mm -hmm. It's a look backward to create a path forward. We're still in the process of doing that. This is not a done deal. It's a plan for rebuilding amidst a breaking down. So it's all of that, but we have a lot of work to do. Amy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I just would completely agree with your those final thoughts. I That was really insightful. I learned so much from Hooks. This is a book that I will give to people and continue to think about. So I, I was so glad I read it and so grateful to you, Gina, for being willing to read it and spend the time having this conversation. So thanks so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.